Well, I'd like to uh, draw your attention for a, a short while uh, this morning to the passage that I read earlier and to just a small part of it in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 5 and 6 uh, in particular, and um, reading now from the, uh, the ESV, uh, so not that much different, it's a little bit more uh, modernised, I guess, but uh, uh, let's hear uh, that, um, th- those verses again. For there is one God... And there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. When Paul uh, was writing uh, those words, he was uh, approaching the very end of his life. But it wasn't that he was an old man uh, about to die quietly and comfortably, as it were, uh, in his own bed. It wasn't uh, that he was, to, he was coming to the end of his life in a, uh, a peaceful and, uh, uh, and contented way. He was actually a prisoner of the Roman Empire, uh, and he was facing very imminent death. In fact, he knew that uh, the death that was awaiting him wasn't to be peaceful at all. It was to be violent, uh, because he knew that uh, the time had been appointed Uh, when he would be uh, executed uh, as uh, an enemy of the state. Though he'd been condemned to death for one reason and one reason only in an ultimate sense, and that was that he was uh, determined to go on preaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. He would not not give up that great mission uh, that had been uh, laid upon him by the Lord Jesus himself to go Uh, into all the world and to go particularly through the Gentile world uh, speaking about the saviour and uh, the hope that was to be found in him. But these uh, realities didn't mean to say that they didn't didn't, uh, mean that Paul was now resentful against the Lord Jesus and his gospel. He wasn't sitting in that uh, Roman uh, prison cell thinking to himself well Uh, If I hadn't uh, been obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ, none of this would have happened. He wasn't uh, regretful or uh, in any any sense resentful. In fact, the opposite was true. He regarded it to be the greatest privilege of his life to have been uh, given the opportunity, the commission, to be a preacher of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And now as he faced death, his great concern was with the future. With the future of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ with the the future of the gospel that he had been commissioned to preach. And so he's writing to Timothy. Timothy, his young protege, uh, um, uh, the the young man who has been trained and uh, encouraged in the ministry of the word uh, by Paul, who is presently serving the Lord uh, in the city of Ephesus. He's writing to to Timothy because he knew that Timothy belonged to the next generation, as it were. The generation who was going to carry the gospel baton when Paul uh, was, uh, uh, was uh, made, was forced to, to drop it. And among other things, he didn't want Timothy to lose sight of what the gospel actually was. So it is that in these words and in the wider passage around them that Paul uh, gives Timothy a reminder of these things. Anselm was, a, was the Archbishop of Canterbury uh, from the years 1093 to 11, 
Oh, nine, and uh, rather better spe- specimen in that particular office than uh, uh, we've tended to see in recent uh, years. But Anselm was also a significant scholar, and he wrote a number of important books on, the, on, on, on theology, some of the most important books on theology in history, amongst which is one that has the, the, the title roughly, because it was written in, uh, in, in Latin, Why Did God Become Man? Why did God become man? And Anselm wanted to make it absolutely clear that the incarnation of the Son of God uh, is totally and absolutely essential to the plan and purpose of God for fallen man. And in these verses, Paul is concerned to uh, help us to see why it is absolutely essential that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, took upon himself, our flesh. The word was made flesh and, and came to dwell amongst us. His words at the end of verse 6 are slightly uh, ambiguous. Uh, he talks in, in my version of the, uh, the testimony given at uh, uh, the proper time or at the due time. And we ask, what does he mean by that? Well, his words, as I say, uh, do seem to be slightly ambiguous, but he seems to be making the, the same point, or at least a very similar point, to the one that he He makes elsewhere in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4 where he wrote this. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive the adoption as sons. When the fullness of the time had come, God the Father sent Jesus Christ, his son, into this world at his appointed time. And now we're able to look back on that time with thanksgiving, as we do especially as we uh, draw nearer to that particular time of the year. But the, the focal point in these, in these verses that we're considering uh, together this morning is, is, on the word, is in the word one. It's there particularly in verse five. There is one God and there is one mediator between God and man. Paul is saying that the very heart of the gospel, here is this truth, that Jesus Christ is the only mediator between God and man. We're going to think about the Lord Jesus as our mediator, but as we we do that, we need to begin by asking the obvious question, what does a, a mediator do? Philip Jensen answers the question like this. He says, a mediator is one who brings about reconciliation between two parties who are otherwise in disagreement or at war. And that is the role that the Lord Jesus Christ has taken on. And here in that, we see the ultimate reason why God became man. As we think about this for a a short time, this great truth, we need to begin uh, by thinking about the need That is, why is a mediator needed in the first place? And the answer is here in these words. It is because there is only one God. It is because there is one God. A statement that would be about as controversial as it could possibly be in Timothy's day. We need to remember that Timothy was um, living at that particular time and ministering in the city of Ephesus. Ephesus was a a prominent city in Asia Minor. Asia Minor was one of the 
the Roman provinces in, in the, uh, in which, into which the empire uh, had been um, divided up. It was uh, uh, to be found, in, uh, and still is, in, in part of what is now modern Turkey. And the city of Ephesus was known in particular in the ancient world for, for one thing especially, and that is for its temple to the goddess Artemis, or, or Diana, as she's otherwise known. In fact, it was Paul himself who had been responsible under God for planting the church in Ephesus. He'd been sent there uh, to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as he had done so, there had been a riot. As the men who had made their living out of uh, selling and, uh, uh, and producing uh, idols were put out of business. So many had come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So many had come to, to see the, the kind of superstition that these men were promoting for what it actually was. Uh, that the bottom had, as, as it were, dropped out of the, uh, the idol-making and selling market. We might think of, of Ephesus at that time as like one of those, uh, those old-fashioned seaside resorts. You used to be able to go uh, and you used to be able to buy all sorts of uh, souvenirs, most of them. Uh, really um, a worthless uh, tat. Uh, perhaps you, you'd bring back some china ornament that had um, engraved on it a souvenir of Blackpool as a reminder of your holiday by the sea. Except in Ephesus, uh, you would not have brought back a, a china ornament, you'd have brought back a little statue, a statuette of the, the local goddess. But in writing to, to Timothy, who's serving in Ephesus, Paul underlines the fact that there is only one God. And in, in doing that, he's, he's ultimately repeating, uh, in summary, what he's already said slight, in slightly more detail in, in chapter 1 and verse 17, where he, he wrote this. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. You see, goddesses like Artemis were of human invention. They were visible. You could see them, or at least uh, you could see their representation. You could, uh, you could hold them. You, you could uh, envisage them. But at, at the end of the day, they only existed as a, as a result of, uh, uh, of the work of human hands. They came into being as a consequence of the working of human imagination. They were dependent upon men. And uh, Artemis Diana was one of many, many gods and goddesses that were worshipped in those days. But ultimately the point is that those deities very often, in fact, uh, uh, exclusively reflected the culture and the people who worshipped them. They were the gods of the times. The gods that people had imagined and chosen. And, and in so many ways, the world doesn't move on very much, does it? So we're told today that, that every opinion about God and religion is equally valid. But the one thing we doesn't say is that uh, uh, we have any exclusive uh, grasp of the truth. We're told that we ourselves, as, as people, are the, the ultimate reality. And so we can pick and choose whether to believe in God at, or, or, at all. And for so many today, they, um, the, the, the statement that there is one God is 
is controversial in, in, in the fact that they themselves have dismissed the very idea of God altogether. So the idea in our modern world is very, very similar to that in the, the ancient world. We pick or choose our gods, whether to believe at all. And if we do believe, we choose the kind of God that suits us. But the point is that there is ultimately only one God. The God who has always been. The God who had no beginning. The God who can have no end. The God who is the king of the ages. The God who doesn't rule according to our agreement. Not so very long ago, it seemed like uh, um, uh, our present prime minister could do nothing wrong and, and people were just going to uh, vote for him again the next opportunity they had. But now all that's looking a little bit more shaky. Perhaps uh, he, he isn't quite so popular as he once was. Perhaps uh, he won't get everybody's votes and become prime minister again in the future. But you see, the one true living God, the king of the ages, isn't dependent on anybody's votes. He isn't dependent on anybody's opinions. And the day is going to come when all of us will have to stand before this one true God as our judge. And therefore our great and urgent need right now is to be sure that we know him and that we're ready to meet him. But there's a problem. How do we approach this God? A God is invisible for one thing, a, a problem that tended to be got round in places like Ephesus by making those little statutes. And how can we be confident of being accepted by him if we approach him at all? The Bible everywhere makes it very clear that there is a real problem at the heart of, any, of all those questions because our relationship with him by nature is broken. Our failure to obey him and to love him as our king brings us under the imminent reality of his judgment. Something that Paul uh, summed up elsewhere as he began his uh, letter to the Romans in Romans chapter 1 uh, and verse 18, he said this, a very blunt and bald statement of the truth. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. He goes on to show that uh, what is known about, what can be known about God ought to be plain to them because they, they, they're able to see the evidence within the creation itself. You see, our natural condition is to rebel against all, all, Almighty God, to refuse to have our Creator be our King. As a consequence of that, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. And that's why a mediator is needed. So we thought about the need, but now we need to move on to think uh, about the solution. And once again, the, uh, the, 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 this text makes the vet matter very clear. For just as there is only one God, so there is only one mediator, the man Christ Jesus. We need to see once again that he's stressing the, the point that there are no alternatives on offer. This, this isn't a kind of uh, supermarket of options where we go along the, 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 the line, as it were, and we, de we decide the, uh, the mediator that suits us. We decide the, the way to, to get into a right relationship with God that fits in with our particular longings and desires. This isn't a kind of pick-and-mix arrangement. There are no alternatives. 
If we want to be ready to be, if we want to be ready to meet with the one true God, there is only one way to be sure that we are. And that is through Jesus Christ. Now, once again, that's deeply unfashionable. It's offensive to so many people today. But it is the truth. And just because the truth is something that people don't like, just because the truth is something that doesn't get our vote, doesn't make it any less true. Jesus Christ is the only one who can bridge the gap between sinful men and the one true God who is their king. But how does he do that? Well, he does it, says Paul, uh, in, in answering that question, through his humanity. Jesus Christ is fully man. He was born into this world in the same way than any of us are. We, we, we use the expression, the virgin birth, and um, of course that's a, an accurate expression in its own terms, but uh, what was ultimately miraculous about uh, Jesus coming into this world was his conception. He was born of a virgin, but the, the reality was that his birth uh, would have taken place in exactly the same way as any of ours did. And then he went through the various experiences of life we do. He went through uh, those experiences of, of, of being helpless as a small child, utterly and completely dependent upon his mother to do everything for him. He went through the various stages of growth through puberty into young adulthood. But here is the remarkable truth. The Jesus who is truly man, and that's the point that Paul is stressing here, is, all, is also... And always has been God. The one God of whom Paul speaks has uh, 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 always existed in three persons in the perfect relationship of the Trinity. The perfect relationship of love from all eternity. And it is from the heart of that relationship that the very Son of God has come. Come to be man. Westminster Shorter Catechism sums it up for us. The Son of God became man by taking to himself a true body and a reasonable soul. He came into this world to be born of a virgin at the time of God's appointing, but he came to do what no other human being could do. That is to bring God and sinful men and women together to effect reconciliation as the mediator something that only the God-man is able to do. Now, we might want to think that, uh, that we can choose our own religion and we can relate to God in any way that appeals to us. We may think that we can pay off our, God, our debt to God by our own good works, bridge the gap that way, but the Bible makes it very clear that the only way of reconciliation is God's way and the only mediator is Jesus Christ. Philip Ryken says the reason Jesus is the only mediator is that he is the only one who has both a divine and a human nature. Not the angels or Mary or the saints or your favorite local minister, for none of them is divine. If we want to get to God, we have to go through this one divine person 
Jesus is the mediator. Now, of course, some would argue that that makes Christianity narrow and exclusive, and on one level it is. There is one God, there is one mediator. We can't get round that, we can't uh, expand that in any way at all. It couldn't be more plain and simple. On one level, it's true to say that Christianity is is exclusive, but on on another, we can see that the opposite is the case, and we see that in the verses that precede our text. Verses 3 and 4, where Paul writes, This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Saviour, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. You see, the point is this, that it is because he desires the salvation of men and women that he has made provision for all to be saved if they put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me put it in these terms. Suppose you're trapped on the fifth floor of a building and the the firefighters who we saw in the pictures for the children turn up with their their fire tender and uh, uh, a ladder is is, uh, rolled out so that it reaches the, the window of the place where you are. The firefighter climbs up the ladder to help you escape. Now, would you regard him as being bigoted and narrow if he told you that he was your only hope of escape? Would you insist on jumping, even though you knew that from five floors up you're going to land in such a way that it will almost certainly cost you your life? Or would you say that it's my choice and I'm going to take the stairs, even though at that very moment the stairs have been consumed by the fire? We'd regard that kind of thing as being utter folly. And we'd applaud the firefighter for his bravery and honesty. You see, the fact is that God does desire men and women to be saved, and he has provided the means through his own son, Jesus Christ. We looked at the need and we've looked at the solution. Lastly, we need to think about the cost. Paul spells that out for us in in, in verse uh, 6, the beginning of that verse, uh, in in telling us what Jesus has done. Who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. To sum it up, we can say that he has done as man what he could never do as God. Paul says he gave himself as a ransom. That's a reference to what was going to happen, what, what had happened at the cross. As we saw in that glorious statement in, in chapter 1 and verse 17, that glorious uh, um, uh, outpouring of praise, uh, that the, the true God is the king of the ages, immortal, invisible. It's impossible for him to suffer. It's impossible for him to die in his divine nature. But Jesus Christ took on our human nature in order to be able to do both. Here's the the great mystery at the heart of the Christmas message, isn't it? That God became man in Jesus Christ without ever ceasing to be God. Peter Lewis sums it up, for he became what he was not. He did not cease to be what he was. He who continued to fill all things and sustain all things also became contained in a virgin's womb and was sustained by a human mother. He came as a man and he did so voluntarily. This was his own choice. He came to 
provide the ransom that was necessary. This is uh, how he uh, explained it himself to his disciples in in those lovely words in Mark chapter 10 and uh, in in verse 45. He's given them a lesson about uh, the need to serve one another and then he, he sums it up by saying this, for even the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, Jesus knew his scriptures. He he knew um, passages, uh, particularly like those famous words in Isaiah chapter uh, 53. And there in Isaiah chapter 53, uh, verse 10, he would doubtless have frequently meditated upon the words of of the, the opening words of Isaiah 53, verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. Jesus knew why he'd come into the world, that in order to, to, to make his soul or his life an offering for sin, he was going to die as a, a ransom. The word refers to a, a payment to buy someone's freedom, often that of a prisoner and a slave. As Tim Keller puts it, Jesus came to pay that kind of ransom. But since the slavery he's dealing with is of a cosmic kind, that is cosmic evil, it required a cosmic payment. Jesus is saying, I will pay the ransom that you couldn't possibly pay, and I will procure your freedom. And the the, the payment is Jesus' death on the cross. When the Lord Jesus says that even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many, he's using that uh, title, Son of Man, not to stress his humanity, but is referring to words in Daniel chapter 7, refer, uh, stressing the reality of who he is, the one who Daniel saw in his vision as clearly a divine being, one like the Son of Man. It is Jesus, the divine Son of Man, who alone is able to pay an infinite price. But then if we ask the question, well, to whom is the ransom paid? And the simple answer, of course, is to God the Father. Jesus died to satisfy the demands of divine justice that we have offended by our sin. We might want to ask, well, why couldn't God just overlook sins? Why did Jesus have to pay such a price? And the answer, of course, to that is very simple. For, for God simply to overlook sin, for him to pretend that it hadn't happened, would be to compromise his justice and as, as a consequence for him to do the impossible, which would be to cease to be God. You deny his very nature, the justice that requires sin to be uh, paid for and punished. So God must punish sin. But the amazing thing is that he was prepared to do so in the person of his own son who was willing to pay that ransom price. Jesus had no sin of his own, but something remarkable happened when he hung on the cross. We read about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. We're told that that he who knew no sin was made sin for us. Not that he was made sinful, that was an impossibility. He was tempted in every way we're tempted, and yet never once sinned. But he was made sin. The guilt of our transgressions were laid upon him. 
He died in the place of others to pay the price of our freedom from his own father's just wrath. There can be no other mediator between God and man. Because only Jesus Christ is God and man. As man, he is able to be our substitute to take our place. As God, he is able to offer a sacrifice of infinite worth. No one else can do that. Which is why no one else can be our mediator. Knowing that uh, crushes our pride. But it fills us with hope. Because we know that this is the length that God was willing to go in order for our relationship with him to be restored.